0: Well, hello friends and welcome to Ask Zach. Today, we're gonna to talk about the Telecaster Thin Line. We're gonna talk about how it came about. We're gonna talk about the uh, version one. And then we're gonna talk about how totally different the version two is like this, which of course has the wide range humbuckers and bullet truss rod and three bolt neck and a non tremolo strap bridge. We're gonna talk about all those things and why the wide range pickup sounds so different than a Gibson humbucker, and it's uh, it's really important, and it's you know pretty obvious when you uh, look at the way they're constructed. Uh, yeah, we're going to talk about you know the, the thin line through the years, and it's uh, it's an original run from '68 uh, through '78, uh, and then how it uh, kind of gained popularity through the years. Some of the guys that played them, and we're just going to have fun. All right, so while you're thinking about it, if you haven't done it already and you've been enjoying the show, then please hit subscribe. Also, I really appreciate you hitting the thumbs up because that just helps us out. Also, uh, support is always welcome. Uh, there's Patreon links in the description, also links to askzac.com where you can go to the store and you can find things like this Amp Schematic shirt, or there's just good old tip jar information, and I greatly appreciate it. Thank you. All right, let's dive in. So Fender started having issues with heavy Telecaster bodies in 1967. Now, was that an issue with the bean counters that weren't specking lightweight ash? Were they they gonna have to pay more for that? Who knows? But regardless, they had heavy ash that they didn't wanna use for bodies because it was just too heavy. So the guys thought, well, what if we routed out some of the wood underneath the pit guard? So that's what they did, because it was something that could easily be done and would be hidden. So this is a 67 Tele. It's not routed underneath the pit guard, But what they did was they just, you know, when they were, uh, you know, initially doing the routes, they routed out this whole area underneath the pit guard and just left a little area where they could attach the pickup. And uh, what they found was that it was not uh, enough wood removal to really be of any type of significant weight loss for the guitar. So they knew that they they were going to have to do some retooling and they were going to have to come out with a new model because there just wasn't enough that could be done on this guitar without changing the design. So the decision was made to make a thin-line Telecaster. So, you know, of course, thin line guitars were popular with, uh, you know, Gibson. And uh, so what they decided, you know, like the 335. So they decided to put an F hole on it. And then they, they made the body just a touch thinner for a reason. But first they routed out an area right here, quite large. And then an area here and an area here. Then to cover it up they took a thin piece of wood shaped like a Telecaster and they put it on there and glued it on. I guess sometimes they call it, I guess you'd call it a veneer or a fillet, something like that. And of course from the top, they did their normal routing and then they also, they routed out an F hole up here. Uh, but otherwise it was kind of a, a normal Telecaster. It had the same bridge, same electronics. Uh, it, it did, it lost the plate. So instead, the, uh, the, the, the controls were mounted on a pickguard, and of course it got a, an elongated pickguard that was perloid. Another interesting feature was, this was the first Telecaster where the neck pickup was mounted to the pickguard and not the body. So all Telecaster neck pickups had all been mounted to the body before this, and so this was the first time Fender experimented with that, and they would use it later on with the American Standard Series and such. Um, yeah, the bodies, were made from ash or mahogany, and uh, you know. But the mahogany was are, are much less common. They're out there, and normally they were in a natural finish. And uh, of course, you can really see the difference between the mahogany and the ash. Uh, you know, early '68 models would have had a maple cap neck, you know, meaning no skunk stripe on the back because it was a two-piece neck, or of course rosewood board, which is much less common. You, you see many more of the maple caps on the early thin lines. Uh, yeah, of course, the earliest models you know, would probably have m- more of a lacquer finish on body and neck. And then, of course, by late 68, you have the switch over to, to all pretty much all poly. And, uh, of course, the loss of the cloth-covered wires that were you know, in early 68, and you start seeing um, plastic insulation covering on there. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. So the price of a standard Telecaster in 1968 was $229. Now taking inflation into account, that'd be like $2,000 in today's money. This is 2022 when I'm shooting this video. The thin line was $319, which taking inflation into account was $2,700. So you paid a $700 upcharge for a body that was partially hollowed out and had a, you know, a, a you know, a back plate, basically, you know, a, a back fillet of wood that uh, was covering up where they did the, the routings and it had, of course, a, uh, pit guard. That's a, a huge upcharge. I'm sure there was more labor involved in doing that, but, uh. Yeah, it was interesting that Fender did that. That was kind of savvy on their part. And then if anyone ever complained about, you know, Telecaster being heavy, well, it's like, well, here, let us show you our new Telecaster Thin Line. It's, you know, it's only a little bit more. Well, you know, of course, you know, in today's money, $700. And back then it would have been about $90, which would have been a lot of money. So, uh, yeah, so the guitar doesn't really, uh, you know, in 68, you know, it, it go, then you go into 69, 69, you get, um, maple necks come back. So that's when you have, uh, you know, skunk stripes, you know, come back, uh, 70, the guitar is pretty much the same 71, you know, 70 and 71, pretty much the same till late 71. And that's when you get version two. And uh, and this is a completely different guitar. And uh, the heart of it are the wide-range pickups. So the wide-range pickups came about as Fender had hired Seth Lover away from Gibson. So Seth Lover had designed the original humbucker for uh, for Gibson back in the mid-50s, and also he had designed other pickups and amps and other designs for Gibson as one of their main engineers. So they hired him away, and... You know, it's been speculated that, that the reason Fender hired him was they wanted him to make a Gibson humbucker for them, basically a copy, because the patent was supposedly uh, you know coming to an end. But uh, I'm you know I'm not sure whether that is true or not. But we do know that Seth Lover made a very different pickup. It is very different in sound and it's very different in construction. So here's where we need to talk about humbucker construction so you can understand the huge difference between a Gibson humbucker and a Fender wide range humbucker. So let's talk about the Gibson pickup first. So a Gibson humbucker has pole pieces, has 12 pole pieces that are metal. They're not magnets. And then it has the two bobbins and then underneath it has a bar magnet, okay? The wide range Fender humbucker, it has pole pieces that are also magnets, okay? So there's no bar magnet underneath it because the pole pieces are the magnets. And that's because that's what Fender always did. Leo Fender's guitars were, they always had the pole pieces were the magnets. He didn't have a separate magnet underneath it and they weren't adjustable, so this one had the pole pieces, were the magnets. Very different. Also, they wanted them to be adjustable, unlike other fender pickups. They wanted them, you know, they wanted the pole pieces to be adjustable, which meant that the magnets had to be threaded so that you could you know, adjust them up and down. Well, that immediately also changed the type of magnet that was used because they couldn't use a regular Alnico 2 or Alnico 5 or 3 or whatever Gibson was using at that point. And they had to use a new you know, magnet that was called KuniF, And so this was a combination of copper and nickel and kind of a ferrite you know, ceramic magnet. And that is, you know, that was the only one that could be threaded and so that's why they used it. So that's another, you know, big contributor to a very different sound. Uh, also, you had a lot more windings on the uh, on the bobbins. And so the, uh, the wide range pickups, you know, will measure in the 10K to 11K range, while, you know, your standard Gibson humbucker would have been in the 7 to 8, sometimes into the 9K range. So they were, now that doesn't, now, that reading doesn't always measure into output, but yet these these are somewhat you know loud pickups. They are you know they have more they certainly have more output than your standard uh, Fender single coil. All right, so so that was you know that was part of it with the the thin line too was the uh, the humbuckers. Of course, also you have the switch away from the uh, the Telecaster bridge which is, you know, a big part of the Telecaster bridge pickup sound is the fact that it's, one, it's a single coil, two, it's mounted in the bridge, and there's an interaction there that's an important part of the Telecaster sound. Well, by taking that away and also mounting it to the pickguard instead of into the wood or something else, all those things change it. Now, here you have a non-tremolo Strat bridge. So, big change in tone. Big change with hardware, big change with the pickups, you also uh, you have a change in uh, kind of the this made for an easier subassembly at the factory. So now you could have someone sitting there with the pick guard, and they could be mounting pickups, mounting the uh, volume and tone controls and the, and the selector switch. They could solder it all together, and then it could be slapped into the guitar, you know down the line. While we're at it, uh, now, the telecaster book, the old Bible. That we call that came out in around 90. It says that these guitars had 250k pots, but I have yet to find one that has 250k pots. All of them have one meg pots, which were what Fender was using in the, in the regular telecasters of the era. So if you have an original thin line from the 70s, a thin line 2 with the wide-range pickups, and it has 250k pots, please comment below or you know, send me a note. Um So then you, uh, you know, construction wise, there were some other changes. And so this was the first Fender guitar to get the wide range pickups. And then this was also part of the changeover in late 71, where you get the addition of the three bolt micro tilt, you know, neck adjustment, and you get the bullet truss rod. And of course, the reason this is called bullet truss rod is because it looks like a bullet, bullet end right here. Now, this was a good design because this allows you to adjust the truss rod without taking the neck off like you had to do on vintage guitars, on, you know, older, on standard Telecasters. Also, you know, you could adjust neck angle with the micro tilt. So you could just loosen these screws and you could put in an Allen wrench in there and you could rate and you could turn that, tighten it. And what it would do is it would press, it would you know, raise up above the wood. And it was just like putting a shim in the neck back in the old days. So you'll find a lot of old fenders where if you take the neck off, you'll find a little piece of paper or plastic or maybe even a piece of wood that's put in the neck pocket, down close, you know, closer to the bridge. And what they're doing is they're changing the neck angle. They're kind of angling it downward. And, uh, and that was a you know a fairly common thing. Not all, all Fender guitars have that, but uh, quite a few of them do. Well, now they could adjust that you know, at the at setup in the factory without having to take the guitar apart. Now, all of a sudden, it was all there. And the truss rod, it's adjustable right here. Neck doesn't have to be removed. So, there were some really nice features on the guitar. And, uh, and of course, this guitar sounded, you know, very, very different than the other Telecaster. Oh, uh, let's talk about colors and, and finishes and stuff. You know, of course, originally... It was offered in, uh, in ash or mahogany, but by the time the, the two series with the wide range is out, you don't really see many mahogany bodies. They're out there, but there's just not very many. Most of them are ash. Uh, Finish-wise, of course, you know, the natural is the is the biggest one that you'll see. You will see some black ones, some sunburst ones, and some white ones. Every once in a while, there'll be some oddball custom-colored one. Uh, but those are exceptionally rare uh, most of the time the pit guard is this white perloid but you will see some that have just a white guard that's three ply instead of a uh, you know instead of a four ply like this so yeah and so these guitars during the era that they were made were not incredibly popular so the series one you know you you know, there was like footage of what like Curtis Mayfield playing the, the first version of the thin line but the second version really doesn't get played a whole lot. Um, you know I remember seeing footage of Conway Twitty playing on in the 70s you know with his big hair and singing bum bom bom. bom. Uh, you would never been this far before but uh, you don't see a whole lot of guys playing thin line uh, thin line twos especially. In the 1970s, so I guess it was not a very popular model because also Fender removed it from the line in late '78, early '79. The guitar's gone, so it uh, it just went away. So it's kind of kind of sad, but uh, but the guitar kind of lived on. So Fender Japan made a uh, a version of it, part of their JV series, you know, in the early 1980s. That that that's pretty rare, but they're they're they are out there. Also, there were copies made by other companies. Uh, Greco made a really cool copy under their Spacey sound, you know, telecopies, that uh, is a really good thin line 2 series, and the pickups are uh, a little fatter sounding. And uh, I have to give uh, credit to uh, Duke Levine, uh, who is a friend of the show that uh, has one and even been using his uh, Greco Spacey sound on the road with uh, Bonnie Raitt. And he likes it because the pickups are a little fatter sounding than uh, a regular vintage Thin line. So yeah. Uh, But yeah, other players kind of picked up on this guitar later on. So Johnny Lang, uh, Tab Benoit, uh, you know, the guitarist with, uh, you know, Coldplay and uh, different, you know, kind of more, alternative, maybe Radiohead and some other guys, you know, played these at different times. Um, But yeah, it kind of continued on in reissues. And, uh, you know, of course, the the original models, you know, yeah, it's always one of those things where, you know, kind of the outliers, the punk guys, the, the guys that are doing something different that don't have much money. Those are the guys that pick up on these, you know, Fender or other models that are less popular, and then they kind of popularize them. So, you know, just like the, you know, the new wave guys like Elvis Costello, you know, played jazz masters and Jaguars and stuff like that. And they started making them popular again. And so then some of the blues cats and the, uh, you know, kind of more experimental rock dudes started playing these guys and started making these, you know, popular again. Uh, This guitar This is a brand new, brand spanking new, right right from the factory, uh, you know, Vintage 2 Series uh, 72 thin line from Fender. So I really had a hard time. I I looked and looked for uh, one that I could borrow from a friend or a store here in town, and I could not track one down. And I really didn't want to uh, try to, you know, have somebody ship a guitar to me. So, uh, so Fender was kind enough to, to send this to me. And th- this, is, this is a cool guitar. And I think one of the, the kind of cool and fun features that they did on this, and uh, you know, most people won't, uh, won't th- get this right away, but if you look, there is toner on the, uh, on the headstock alone. And the reason is, is that in the 70s, uh, and actually starting in the late 60s, Fender changed the way they uh, they put their logos on. And so if you look at 70s fenders, the headstock is always darker than the rest of the guitar. Well, in most cases. And the reason that is, is that the guitar was pretty much completely poly. And after the neck was finished, they would put the logo on. And then after the logo was put on, they would just spray a light coat of lacquer. And so what would happen is, is that that coat of lacquer would age differently than the poly and it would create this look. And so Fender, uh, you know, had kind of a, a little fun tip of the hat to the old guitars and that they put a, uh, a toner on there. So for, so brand new, it's already darker than the uh, the rest of the uh, of the neck. So kind of a, a fun thing. Well, I'm going uh, to play a little bit of it uh, now for you since all I've done is, is talk about it. I'm going to play it uh, through my old Deluxe Reverb. you get to hear that clean. I'll go through the, the different pickups and just play that for you. Appreciate you watching the show today, and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Ask Zach Podcast.